sermon will be on verses 24 through 37. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And as he, that is Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away 
until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Throughout history, many have asked the question, when will be the exact timing of Jesus' return? Even unbelievers have asked the question, when will be the end of the world? And how will we know that we are close to that end? Uh, False prophets have tried to put exact dates to the end of the world, and in every case, they have been wrong. If you're old enough to remember, there was Y2K. There was uh, 2012 was another time when the world was supposed to end. Uh, 2015 was when Florida was supposed to be underwater. But the truth is, many people have made loads of money by alarming people, and in every case, have been wrong about their prophecies. As I've said before, there is a market for alarm. Every news report becomes, this is the end. So go buy my book that tells you how the world will end. Truthfully, if they know the exact timing when the world will end, what's the point of buying a book anyway? Now, Jesus didn't give his disciples signs of the times to drive them to alarm. He wasn't an alarmist. But as Jesus said to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, there will be false Christs that will lead many astray. And when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Natural disasters will not end the world. Natural disasters are signs and warnings of Christ's return. It was not the end, despite how many books have said that it was the end. Jesus didn't give them these signs to cause alarm. He gave them signs so that they would look forward to his return and so that they would be ready for his return. He has just given them the signs of the end of the age and the signs of the end of Jerusalem. And we must conclude that these signs did not just occur in 70 AD. These signs happen throughout history over and over again. Now, these signs are to be expected. There will be false Christs and false prophets who will seek to lead God's people astray with false teaching and signs and wonders. 
There will be wars, famines, and natural disasters. There will be persecution of the church. There will be times of tribulation. You don't have to look uh, too far back in history to find all of these signs appearing at various times. Yet we are still waiting for an even greater event before Jesus' return at the arrival of the final Antichrist. So he moves from telling them the signs of the end of days to telling them of the signs of his coming, the timing of his return, and a few points of application. First, he tells them how he will return by giving them more signs. He says, but in those days. The phrase in those days is a common phrase found throughout the Old Testament referring to the last days or the day of the Lord. So here Jesus sounds much like an Old Testament prophet. If you haven't read the many places that describes the day of the Lord, it is not described as a bright and sunny day. The day of the Lord speaks of the final day when God will judge the world in his wrath and save his people. It will be a day of judgment for some and a day of salvation for others. Notice the characteristics of those days. First, the timing. It will be after that tribulation. Again, he is not just speaking of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, but after the coming of the man of lawlessness, as Paul describes it. He says, For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who exalts himself to be God. And he will lead many astray with false signs and wonders, and people will turn and worship the image of the beast, as we find in Revelation 20. Secondly, all of creation will break down before our eyes as it will testify to his coming. Much like at his death, there will be darkness at his return. Amos asks this question. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. Jesus describes it in this way. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be fallen from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Creation itself will be bearing witness to his return and because of the judgment that is coming on man and the glory of Christ, the heavens will be shaken. This may also be speaking of the principalities, the cosmic powers, and the spiritual forces in the heavenly places being under distress at his coming because they will all be summoned to his throne. Nevertheless, all creation will take notice at his coming. Thirdly, he says, and then they will see the Son of Man. Now, who is they? Was he just speaking of his disciples? Well, no. If you go to Matthew's account, he tells us that all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man, which means everyone will see him. It is not going to be a secret when Jesus returns. He will be seen by all. 
All of creation and time will stop at His coming. The universe will be undone and everyone's attention will be on the King of glory. How will they see Him? And what will He do when He returns first? And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. Clouds are important throughout the scriptures as God used clouds to surround his glory. Like the cloud that surrounded the glory of the Lord as the Lord led Israel through the wilderness. And the vision of the Son of Man in Daniel 7 that said that Daniel saw that he came with the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Now this means that he has been exalted and at his coming Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what will he do when he comes? It says, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. In other words, it will be a universal gathering. It will not be a secret. Listen to how Paul describes it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And this is where Christians will be acquitted of all of their sins and saved, while for the rest, there will be judgment before His throne, as it is described in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Now there are two things missing from His return, as He describes it. There are two ideas that are Missing that many, if not most Christians, believe today in some form. First, there is no secret rapture. Some teach that Jesus will return first in secret, where he will take his more righteous followers and leave the less righteous followers behind to get their act together, as it is taught in the Left Behind series. Then he will return a third time, which is nowhere in the scriptures, to come for his prodigals. And then he will rule this earth as we know it for 1,000 years before he takes us to heaven. But here it says, he will return one time and that everyone will see the coming of the Son of Man because it will be a universal event. He will send out angels to the four corners of the earth to gather the elect. He will descend with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. It won't be a secret to say the least. Nowhere is there a mention of a secret rapture. Secondly, there is no physical golden age for the church. There is no physical Restoration of the nation of Israel or the church in this world. Our mistake is that we often judge by appearances. We believe that the church is only winning 
when we are physically and visibly victorious, when there are big numbers, when there are mega churches or cultural influence, when really the opposite may be the case, like in the last 200 years or so. It doesn't say there will be tribulation, then the church will set up the kingdom, transform society, and rule the world for about a thousand years, then Jesus will return and say, wow, I love what you've done with the place. This is exactly what I would have done. No, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will return and take you with me to that place. I didn't tell you to prepare a place for me. You don't have that kind of power. You are not the creator. I am. I just told you to tell everyone what I told you and to be faithful with the gifts that I have given you. So there will not be an age where the church will see a better version of Christendom than what we've seen before. The church is not meant to redeem the culture for Christ. Christ is the only redeemer. He says there will be tribulation in various forms to varying degrees then during that great tribulation, he will return and this age and this world will come to an end. Now, in case you think I'm a pessimist, I believe we are living in the golden age of the church right now. The golden age of the church began when Christ ascended to the right hand of his father and continues to this day even when the church is being persecuted. Why? Because Christ is on the throne right now. To believe otherwise is to remove our sight and faith away from Christ to our own efforts, our own strengths, and our own achievements. He is ruling and governing the world even when the church seems to be losing. We are not to judge by appearances. We are to judge based on his promises. He said, these will all be signs of his sudden return. Then it will be over and the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. Even when it seems we are losing. Remember, he told his disciples they will be persecuted. Yet they will be victorious. Because it's not based on us, but it's based on his promises and his character. Secondly, he speaks of the timing of his coming as he goes back and answers their initial question What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And he uses the imagery of the fig tree. Now, he is not using the fig tree as he has used it before, referring to the temple or to Israel. Uh, The fig tree here is speaking of the signs that he has been giving them so far leading up to his return. He is not speaking about what he just said about how he will return and what he will do at his return. I, I hope you can follow. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. And he explains, so also when you see these things taking place, that is 
the signs of the end of the age, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things, all these signs take place. Again, he is referring to the signs that lead up to his return, not to his return itself. Because he is not saying that he is going to return during the disciples' generation. Paul warns us of this very thing when speaking of the day of Jesus' return. He says that we are not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, that he has already returned. Let no one deceive you in any way. Why? Because all of these things must first take place and everyone will know that he has returned because it will be a universal event. And all of these signs will take place in their generation, in the following generation, in our generation, and in our children's generation until he returns. He is just reminding them of what they have to endure in this world before his return. And throughout history, these signs will continue to appear as a fig tree that is maturing until it suddenly bears fruit. When the Son of Man appears in the clouds, his return will be sudden. We will see these signs, but at the same time, we won't expect the exact timing of his return. And in the midst of this, he comforts his disciples. And he comforts you and I. That though uh, we are living through these signs and enduring tribulation, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. This is by far his greatest claim to deity. He is saying his words are God's words. He is saying that his word is eternal and we can trust his word. Because his word is infallible. We can have hope in his word. We shouldn't put our trust in all of these books that are trying to tell us how the world will end and which superpower will be doing what. We shouldn't put our trust in all of these conspiracy theories. We already have a book that lays it out for us clearly what will occur. We are not to put our ultimate hope and trust in creation or his creatures. But we are to look to his word. Because the grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. This is what he is saying. This is what he is saying. And since we can trust his word, when did he say he will return? Did he give us an exact date? No, he gave us signs. He didn't give us an exact time. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He just went from saying his words are eternal, meaning he is 100% God, to saying the Son doesn't know the day or the hour of his return, meaning he is also 100% human. As God, he knew exactly when he would return. But as man, he didn't. 
because as a human, he had to learn, grow in knowledge and stature. But that is not all he was saying. Because his disciples would later ask him again a similar question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So what he is saying here as well is no one knows and no one needs to know. It's not for you to know. Yet many people today still claim that they know. Who will you believe? Imagine if he told them the exact time he will return. What chaos would ensue? We forget the Lord enough now. When we don't know when he would return, imagine if we knew the exact day and the exact hour in which he would return. Humans are natural procrastinators. Imagine all the people who would be saying to themselves, oh, we have time. We could just... Sit back and relax. He's not coming anytime soon. Or we would reason, what's the point of doing anything? What's the point of repenting? So he didn't give us the exact day or hour. He gave us signs that have been occurring throughout history as it is a pattern of a fallen creation. And since these signs have been occurring over and over again, what do you think he wants us to do with the signs he has given us? He told them, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. That's the point. The point of him giving all of these signs and what to look out for was not so that we could get caught up in trying to figure out all the fine details behind the signs. We often miss the forest for the trees or the trees for the forest, either would apply in this case. People tend to focus on the signs rather than what the signs point to. It's like when driving, we see a sign and we say, there's the sign I'm looking for. I need to take that exit. What do we do? We don't keep looking at the sign as we drive by it. We look for the exit. If we keep looking at the sign, there's going to be a pretty bad accident, right? We get distracted with questions like, who are the big characters, Or we get caught up in all of the conspiracy theories like uh, the latest candidate for the Antichrist is Prince Charles. Or where is the U.S. in Revelation? Have you ever read a book like that? I say just throw it out or burn it. Because it's not biblical. He says you don't know when the time will come even if you think you figured it out. Even if you think you see an evil ruler on his throne... There may be another one coming right after him. You don't know. The point of it all is that you are to be on guard and keep awake. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean you literally sleep less? No, you would be killing yourself. First, before applying this text, I would have to address the unbeliever. Because if you are an unbeliever, this passage ought to awaken you to your own state and know that without Christ as your mediator to God as your savior you cannot stand before him and you are not prepared for his return because without Christ you have no forgiveness of sin 
You are clothed in your own righteousness, which will be filthy rags on the day of Jesus' return. It doesn't matter how moral you have been in your life. You are not prepared for his return. And do not presume that you will live another day. Do not presume that Christ will not come anytime soon, or he will not come at all, or that he doesn't exist. You may be living your life the way you want, and every Sunday you may go home and laugh off all that is said. But listen to Peter address this very issue. He reminds us of this prophecy of Christ's return. And we should know this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Life goes on every day as it always has. But he reminds us that God created all things from the beginning and he will end it when he chooses. And that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. When we say he is coming soon, soon is up to him to decide. It could be tomorrow or a thousand years from now. We don't know. Jesus says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. It will be sudden. Do not presume that you have another day to spare before you come to Christ. Come to Christ today for refuge from the judgment that is coming. It is coming. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So secondly, notice he doesn't tell them to wake up or to wake themselves up. Rather, he says, keep awake. Because his disciples were already woken up. And the Christian is saved, and so our lives are to be marked by staying awake. But what does it mean to be on guard and to keep awake? It means to be alert and to watch yourself. Examine your life. Have you been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? It means daily repentance. It means to seek Christ on high and to rest upon him for peace and rest. Are you ready for his return? How many times did Jesus say, don't be alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. He is saying, do not be overwhelmed with what's going on in the world. Do not be overwhelmed with what's going on out there. Be concerned with your own repentance. Those are just signs that should lead us to say to ourselves, he said all this is going to happen. He is coming soon. I need to be prepared. He tells his disciples in a short parable. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. 
For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now who is the doorkeeper and who are the servants are not important. The fact is that he is telling his disciples to stay awake. In order to stay awake, you should ask yourself, am I living in light of his return? Am I seeking to glorify him in thought, word, and deed? Am I seeking to please him? Now, I would remind you that when he returns, he will not condemn us or save us based on our good works. Once you are justified, you are always justified. What he is saying here is check your fruits. Check your fruits. What he is saying here is make sure that you are proving that you are justified and a child of God. That you are seeking to walk in his ways. That's the evidence that proves you are his. Check and make sure that even the smallest amount of grace and faith exists in your life. And if your conscience isn't clear if you tend to dwell on your past sins, and may I remind you that all of your sins are past sins because you've already committed them. If you tend to dwell on your past sins, the author of Hebrews has a remedy. He says, the Christian is to have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so, stay awake. Stay awake. Jesus admonishes his people. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. We are to do the work he has given us as if he may return at any moment. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Also, we've been also called to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is what we call you to every week that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And know that he comes with a reward as he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So ask yourself, what is it that occupies your desires and your longings? There are natural desires and longings that are good and wholesome and true. But do they take the place of your Savior? 
He has given us all things to enjoy, but do we enjoy them a little too much? Where all of our hopes and trust are placed in them, has the comforts of this world become a God to us? That's the difference. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. And John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. That is those things that gratify our sinful flesh, that gratify us for only the moment. For those things are passing away. Instead, ask yourself, do you long for His coming? Or do you feel as though this is your home? Is this your home? Can you say with John, Come, Lord Jesus. Paul reminds us, and I'll close with this. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's what it means to stay awake. Are you awake this morning? Amen.